Welcome to Procurement Block, a podcast all about digital transformation in procurement and supply chain, and how blockchain, risk management, and change management all factor in. I'm your host, April Harrison, Marketing Director for Trust Your Supplier. I'm a procurement novice, eager to learn more from the people who are at the forefront of procurement innovation. On today's episode, I am being schooled by Michael Robinson. Michael K. Robinson is the Program Director of Global Supplier Diversity for IBM's Integrated Supply Chain. He is responsible for leading IBM's supplier diversity initiatives worldwide. In this role, Michael and his team focus on the utilization, development, and mentoring of diverse suppliers who can provide value add to IBM's supply chain. Under Michael's leadership, IBM has been recognized for numerous awards, including Corporation of the Year by the NMSDC three different times, one of the top corporations by WeBank 13 times, and one of DiversityBusiness.com's top corporations, just to name a few. IBM has spent in excess of $2 billion first year annually worldwide with diverse enterprises since 2006 and in excess of $1 billion first year annually with diverse enterprises in the U.S. since 2000. Michael's IBM experience has spanned various disciplines within manufacturing, procurement, and distribution. Michael's full bio, along with a more extensive awards list, can be found in the show notes at procurementblock.com. Michael attended the Georgia Institute of Technology in Atlanta, Georgia, received his BS from Cheney University in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and his MBA from Atlanta University in Atlanta, Georgia. Michael brings his wealth of knowledge and experience to our conversation on supplier diversity. He explains how to jazz up your supplier diversity program by understanding the benefits, how to identify and attract diverse suppliers, and what to take into consideration when implementing or expanding a program. Michael, welcome to the podcast. I am so excited to have you here with me today. It is my pleasure to be here. Can you tell us a little bit more about yourself? What kinds of things do you enjoy outside of work? Well, I I was born in a little small town in the South, so I really enjoy being outside, uh, biking, uh, hiking, and I love jazz. So any types of jazz, I love jazz. I love to relax when I'm uh, away from work. It is a stress reliever, and it allows you to just think about anything. Absolutely. It's really good focus music. I use it sometimes when I'm working. Yes. Another completely non-related to our topic question here. Um, I ask every guest, if you had one superpower, what would that be? And you can only just pick one. (laughs) I refuse to pick one. (laughs) Right. You're asking the specific question, but I get a little flexibility in in asking that because I did listen to some of your prior podcasts and I thought about this for a second. And I thought about it from the standpoint of if I had to have a superpower, I looked at it from the embodiment of the individual. So I would say Superman, number one, because I remember growing up as a kid watching that and it would come on, you know, 
faster than a speeding bullet, uh, more powerful than a locomotive, able to leap tall buildings in one in a single bound. So something of that nature that embodies uh, that uh, all those skills, or uh, I'll state super intellect and unlimited wealth, aka Tony Stark, the Iron Man. <laughs> Wow. You know, you're right. I, you know, most superheroes have more than one capability, right? You know, yes. Superman did that. He turned back time, like flying around the world. So I remember um, that. Yeah. <laughs> but Tony Stark has a really cool suit. So, yes. Hey, and he is very innovative. Being an IBM, a technology company, you think about the innovations and how he moved uh, technology forward. So having those skills, I think that would be uh, fantastic. And it depends upon the individual who has the skills, though, and what they do with them. I agree. I agree. So that was where the intellect comes in. <laughs> Well, that's a really good segue because I am learning the basics around uh, different initiatives and technology within the, that broader area of procurement and supply chain. And so I have asked you to come on and school me a bit on the topic of supplier diversity. We have a global audience for our podcast. And to set the foundation for our conversation, I just want to start with a very basic question which is what do we mean by supplier diversity and why is that important? If, if you think about it simplistically, all supplier diversity is, is including those business owners who've been left out of the economic mainstream because of their race, their gender, disability, et cetera, providing them the opportunity to participate and the procurement process. Another way of thinking about it is just leveling the playing field. Because what we attempt to do is to ensure that from a supplier diversity standpoint, as I mentioned, those suppliers who have been left out of the economic mainstream, they are given that opportunity to to participate. It's not one of giving away business or reducing your requirements is having an open door policy that you're always seeking the best suppliers. And if you think about uh, supplier owners or business owners, most of the business owners today, the majority of them are diverse business owners, women, minorities. So in order for a company to be the best, you have to level that playing field and seek those best suppliers. So that's all supplier diversity is ensuring that your procurement processes are not prohibitive to people based upon gender, race, or those items. There was a lot that happened in uh, mm -hmm. 2020. And I wanted to ask, what changes have you observed in the industry? Or maybe even you've perhaps implemented um, some changes at IBM as a result of the heightened racial tension uh, during the last couple of years. Okay, and, and if you look at it from an industry standpoint, what the murder of George Floyd did out in the open and everything, it put a focus on uh, the social inequities uh, in America. And what you had was a lot of corporations focus more on the supply diversity. Uh, 
and it could have been a situation where it was companies who had never had a program looking into creating one and those who had a program only in name only so to speak looking to refocus on it how could they grow their program uh, more effectively how could they impact uh, I'll say number one the communities in which they serve and looking to be more impactful the thing that I tell companies about this and IBM is one of those companies that is one of the most, I'll say benchmarked, and I participate in a lot of those. Look at it from the standpoint of, yes, supplier diversity, utilizing diverse suppliers can impact society because you're providing funds into those neighborhoods, into those business owners and women-owned suppliers, black-owned suppliers, they hire more women, they hire more black employees. So you are impacting those uh, communities. But the key factor on that too is, you have to understand the value that supplier diversity brings to a company overall. You have to understand its impact to innovation, its impact to technology, uh, the responsiveness of diverse and black owned suppliers. Once you understand those factors and you know the ROI that the company is getting, it is one that is sustainable because you know as well as I do from a historic standpoint, social programs come and they go. So yes, the events of last year did put a real focus on it. However, if from a corporate standpoint, they don't understand that value add that I was just mentioning, it won't be sustainable over time. And IBM's program, it is, you know, it started in 1968. So we understand the value is sustainable. And that's one of those key factors, I would say, and put out to the people who are listening. And from an IBM standpoint, as I mentioned, it's 53 years old. As always, we continue to focus on what we're doing. We understand that uh, we do have a great program, but you have to always ask yourself, what can I do better? What do I need to change? And I think that is going on throughout the industry. It's good that the focus had been put on it because of those issues that occurred last year, but now it's one of how do we make it sustainable? How do we totally understand that value that it brings? And if you do that, again, it can be sustainable. I love your point of it's it's mutually beneficial to do yes. this, right? It's not just a one-sided or a handout. Right, and unfortunately, a lot of companies in the past have thought that. They have thought that utilizing diverse minority and women-owned suppliers, it costs more, it's not as innovative. But if you look at the technology uh, that's been created, the new innovations, most of those have came from small company startups, uh, companies that started in people's garage and it's grew. And that in a lot of major corporations have went out, acquired those companies. So it's, as I said, it's innovative and it's a win-win situation for both. I'm gonna fly off the cuff here and bring back in the jazz for just a second. Because <laughs> if you think about it, in the music industry, 
jazz was very innovative. Right. And it, it was looking at something that was new, something that hadn't been done in the industry before. And you heard it on on the peripheral. But as more and more people began to understand it and understand how you're bringing the horn, the piano, the drum and the strings together to create something that was a little unique. Each one of those individuals or musicians, to a certain extent, was freestyling, but they was doing it in harmony with each other to create something better. And that's what supplier diversity is. You're doing things in harmony to create something better, something that's a win-win. Music is the universal language. <laughs> I totally get it. <laughs> so let me ask you, how do you, then do you identify and then attract diverse suppliers? As I mentioned to you before, our program is 53 years old. So from our standpoint, because it's been in the industry for so long, a lot of diverse suppliers know of us. They know our philosophy. If someone, if it's a new company, that's getting into it. I would tell them to look at the NGOs, uh, the NGOs, non-governmental, non-profit organizations, such as the Women's Business Enterprise National Council, the NMSDC, the National Minority Supplier Development Council. These are nonprofits that certify diverse-owned businesses. They have databases full of those. Also, go to trade shows, go to conferences. And that's one thing that my team and I do a lot. Uh, even in today's virtual environment, you're speaking at those conferences that are held virtually. You're going to those conferences and having a virtual booth. So you're getting to meet new suppliers. You want to grow your database that you already have, but also you want to continually seek and to put your name out there. And we do this from a global aspect uh, because our program, IBM is in, a, is in 170 countries and we have a program in 170 countries. So it's totally global. And the team does this from a worldwide standpoint. They interact with the NGOs uh, in the Asia Pacific group, such as We Connect, who certify women-owned businesses. We bring in suppliers to meet our uh, buyers so that we can establish those relationships. And also we have a portal. We have a portal where suppliers can come in and they can register anywhere in the world. So those are some of the methods. And of course, I get probably 50 to 100 letters a day from suppliers who are just reaching out. They've heard about us and they're reaching out. And one of the things that we want to ensure that when we say we are, we're spending or we're doing business with a diverse owned business, that it is certified. Some of the organizations that I mentioned, they go out and if a diverse owned business wants to certify, it's a simple process that they go through. And it ensures that the business is at least 51% owned, operated, and managed by a diverse individual. And the reason for that is that historically when the program started in the 60s and 70s, there were a lot of companies that had pass-throughs. There were fronts where you had a woman or a minority who was sitting in and as the president, but it was owned by a majority-owned person or that uh, woman minority was not managing the company. So these organizations 
go in, they have a process, and they verify and validate that. And by doing that, you're ensuring that you are spending with a diverse owned supplier and that you are impacting those communities in which you serve. What are some of the things, in addition to that, that an organization should consider when implementing a supplier diversity program? Yeah, I mean, IBM's been doing it for 53 years, so I'm sure there's lessons learned there. And and my first response, and I thought about this, my initial response is, why are you doing it? And let me explain. Just as we've talked about the social issues that occurred last year, a lot of companies are getting into it, and we're having this conversation, and we have to be frank as we look at this. Are you getting into it to make an impact? And are you getting into it to, and you understand the value that those suppliers can bring to you, that diverse suppliers can bring to you? Or are you doing it as a facade? Uh, Because unfortunately, just as everything, there are some companies who, who have created a supplier diversity program, but it is not functioning and they are not committed to it. And that goes back to the statement I was making on sustainability. Number one, define why are you doing it? Define that culture of your company. Is, is the company committed to doing it? And then as you're starting out, I would say, make sure that your senior executive team, your CEO, the senior managers within the organization is committed. Then also communicate effectively throughout the team. I think it's uh, been stated that one of the biggest misconceptions of communication is that it actually occurred. So you have to continue to communicate and eliminate those uh, unconscious bias, as I had mentioned before, that diverse suppliers cost more to utilize. So communicate, understand why you're doing it, and then create a first tier program. And when I say first tier, that's the direct span that you have with diverse owned suppliers. So create a diverse owned program, implement it, make sure it's functioning properly, and then create your second tier program. And the reason that I point out both of those is from a corporate standpoint, no corporation can Every, they can't work directly with every supplier. So you want to make sure that throughout your supply chain, you're providing opportunities to diverse suppliers. Not They may not be direct, but they can be your second tier. Your suppliers are utilizing those diverse suppliers and providing services and products to you. And by doing that, you're going to grow those suppliers downstream in the supply chain so that eventually they may become your direct supplier or your first tier supplier. So again, why are you doing it? Communicate, get your executives commitment because one of the biggest fallacy is that supplier diversity resides within one department. Supplier diversity has to be a corporate wide commitment. That's a great framework. You know, start with that intention and then get alignment and then all the planning to put it into action. Yes. Where do you see supplier diversity uh, in 2030? I'll respond in two ways. One, from a professional standpoint, I believe as a profession, it is it's being recognized again, the value that supplier diversity brings to a company. So by doing that, I think you will see the prof- 
the profession grow. I think you will see people at higher levels within the organization who are managing that, who have control over the supplier diversity organization and more influence. Uh, so that is not just an afterthought. It is a profession within procurement, just as in HR, you have various professions within it, and there is an HR chain within the organization. And within procurement, I think you're going to see that supplier diversity individual is going to be more respected. It's going to grow over time. And then from a strategic standpoint, I see more corporations understanding that value of it. I, I think I, you'll see more corporations implementing plans. You'll see them, you know, understanding totally that value that it brings and that it will be more effective in, you know, in it from an innovative standpoint, from a technology standpoint, and also that byproduct of impacting the communities. So I do see it growing over time. And I, and I think what you will have also is more companies will have a global or an international program. And I'll distinguish between those two because you have a lot of corporations who have a U.S. program, but they don't have a program outside of the U.S. And likewise, you have some companies who have an international, who may be headquartered outside of the U.S. They have a supply diversity program in the U.S., but not in their own country or outside of it. I think they will understand that value more, and you will see supply diversity being applied in many more countries overall. There's a lot coming out from the EU um, mm -hmm. around supplier diversity as well right now. So lots to do in uh, the next 10 years. Yeah, yes. <laughs> do you have any professional advice or life hacks that you would be willing to share with me and our listeners? The piece of advice that I give, and I recall reading this somewhere, and I just scribbled it down and it came to me uh, as we were talking and the advice is that and i'm going to paraphrase it was that improvements are only temporary until they become a part of who you are you know the goal is not to read a book the goal is to become a reader the goal is not to run a marathon it's to become a runner and it's and as we were talking about music it's not to learn an instrument the goal is to become a musician so this year in the year to comes i would say focus on the identity that you want to build and become that that is beautiful it does remind me of a, a saying i heard what you do every day matters more than what you do once in a while yes so it, incorporate it into your identity because it's something that you do every day so exactly i believe you're going to be presenting at procurement boundaries blue sky event in november what other projects do you have on the horizon or other engagements that you might have i recently presented with the UN Women's Council. There have been also uh, with WeBank's We Thrive Education. I did their commencement, had some words on that. So there are a lot of different areas uh, that we have that I or my team has 
uh, one of my team members has just recently did an engagement in uh, the Asia Pacific group. And I believe it was with WeConnect, but I think it may have been in Singapore as we were giving education and a meet the buyer session there. So from a personal aspect, I have several on the horizon uh, that are upcoming. And the team has some throughout the globe. So we try to get out, spread the word and educate because when we first became a, when our program first started going global in 2003, 2004, supplier diversity was not well known outside of the US. And to be honest, there's still a lot of education that you have to do outside of the US. So we're intentional in getting out the word globally on what we're doing and why we're doing it. Michael, you are such a busy man. I can't thank you enough for spending this time with me and helping me learn a lot more about supplier diversity. And I'm also going to go and put on jazz music, you know, maybe some uh, Miles Davis or Duke Ellington. <laughs> hey, dude, I love Miles. Listen to some Grover also. Grover okay. was fantastic. Grover Washington, make put him in your rotation also. Okay, I certainly will. It's 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 been such a pleasure. Thank you again. It has been my pleasure and thank you for this opportunity. That's it for this episode of Procurement Block. I'd like to thank my guest, Michael Robinson, for joining me on the show. A Spotify playlist for Grover Washington will be in the show notes at procurementblock.com. Procurement Block is produced by Trust Your Supplier. You can reach us at procurementblock.com. Show notes are available on our website, and you can leave your questions and comments via the listener comment form. Thank you for learning with me today. I'll leave you with wise words from Benjamin Franklin. An investment in knowledge pays the best interest.